Well, just in, in the games we're playing with that with the quarterback in which we played and the foreman when you matter, pattern match routes, then your rushes become very limited. You have to do things. We're trying to spy. What screwed us up in the game, what didn't match up was our spy with our rushes and how the combination had to come to flush him or push him to be able to get that. We didn't do a good job of that and timing that up and matching the, the different scenarios of things in which we did to get that to happen. And they're just with the eight-man drops. And as I say, we had ways to get things. We didn't time them up right with the pressure to get where we need to go. And we'll mix things up. We'll be three down, four down, and we have to be. All right, I'm excited about getting our next guest's opinion on that three-man front because he's never shy to talk about it. It's Texas Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. We go to our hotline. Jordan Pugh's here with us. And, Jordan, I saw your face kind of analyzing Jimbo's answer there. So I'll ask you, man, <laughs> what did you think of that three-man front? And it ended up working. Um, I mean, yeah, it did. It did in the, in the back and ended up working. Um, I like it situationally. I don't like it as a main focal point or, or as a ba- uh, base defense. When you look at uh, the game, Arkansas was whooping us, especially that first half. They were whooping us in that three-man front. Uh, power running game, there was a lot of traps, a lot of power game that they ran. Um, I know what they were trying to do with the spy, with KJ, because we talked about that earlier in the week, how you know he can use his feet uh, to be able to, to, to hurt us you know, within their offense. But um, – I, I'm not, I, I don't know, man. That, that three-man front, I think, will be a good game plan against Mississippi State. They like to pass the ball around, four, four wide formations. Um, so I think it fits with what they do. But when you look at Arkansas, uh, you see the game against Alabama coming up, uh, the power game that they can put on us, man. I think that's a bad front to be in as a base, um, You know, especially if you're not running a lot of games, especially if you're not stunning, you're not bringing uh, different, different looks and pressures. I don't know if I like that, especially where we are. I think we have a good D-line. I think we got guys uh, four across the board that we can use. We can use uh, Antonio in that nickel, kind of like that Sam nickel linebacker spot. You know, he's making tackles left and right, plays left and right. So uh, as a base, I don't like it. As a switch up against a passing formation, I think it's a good defense for us. Well, it's interesting because last year they did the three-man front against Mississippi State. And I hated Mm -hmm. it last year. But I agree with you against Mississippi State. I think that's something you should use. But they just... They could not get pressure on the QB, and I think, you know, I understand why, because they, they released the ball so quickly. But how important is that going to be, regardless, three-man, four-man four man front, when you're taking on a team that they like to slice and dice you with, with those quick passes? Well, I think uh, it's important, but I got I think people need to, to – to, they need to temper their expectations as far as pressure when it comes to the three-man front against, against Mississippi State. When you look at what they do, they get the ball out quick. There's not a lot of not a lot of deep routes, not a lot of five and seven step drops out of that shotgun formation that they use um, when it comes to that. They do that because they know people try and get pressure on them. So they have combo routes. They have quick hitting routes. They have option routes that they use based off, you know, formational uh, purposes. And they get the ball out quick. That's the one thing that I think people miss when they uh, look at Mississippi State. There's nothing that is is, is nothing overly downfield they'll take their shots when it's there when it's necessary but they get it out quick and they beat you by a thousand cuts uh when you look at what we do defensively when you look at that three-man front you're looking at five dbs on the field i think that's perfect i think we match up athletically i think we're more athletic than what they are uh on the outside um and i think we'll mix in those pressures and and we'll and we'll disguise those pressures a lot uh we saw that against arkansas uh, when they got a lot of pressure, especially in that second half. So I think the matchup is there. I think the 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 scheme that Durkin uses, 
I think it matches up perfectly with what they do offensively at Mississippi State. So, I mean, this is going to be an interesting matchup, man. Can we be patient on defense? Can we limit the explosive plays? But most importantly, can we take away uh, uh, the long drives when it comes to the nickel and diamond with what they do offensively? What would you make of uh, K.J. Jefferson, the game that he had, and how hard he has to take down and the way he affected yeah. the Ags? But he did make a couple mistakes. Yeah. I thought, I, thought, I thought Arkansas played well in the first half. In the first half, there was nothing we could do. Offensively, we were, we were shook. Um, I thought defensively, we had a hard time adjusting to what they were doing, the physicality that they brought in the run game. And I thought them mixing it up with K.J. Uh, was good as well. Uh, I think defensively in the second half, we made the adjustment, and I thought he was confused that that entire third quarter. I thought the third quarter uh, of the game that they played was just – I thought we showed different looks. The blitz game that we had um, um, confused him, especially with the protections. They went a lot of slide protection because they couldn't pick up uh, our, our games and our stunts. Um, but overall, I, I thought it was well. I thought we handled the adversity well on defense. I thought we, I thought we took the punches, and I thought we, we fought back. And that was something that was encouraging to see. One of the things that I have talked about this week is the slow starts. And that really is on both mm-hmm. sides of the ball sometimes. Um, and, and look, I, I know this is a young team that's growing up. Um, are, are you, what, what is your reasoning for the, the slower starts? Man. I wish I had about 10 minutes on this, but man, look, all right. Offensively, here's the, here's the deal. I think offensively, we, there, there's a lot when it comes to this. I think offensively, we're too busy trying to adjust based off what the defense does. I think that's what it is. I think that we're trying to, to get into the right play, but in that getting into the right play is causing us to think we're not doing what we do. With that being said, I don't, I still don't think we have an identity offensively. I don't know who we are. Are we a running football team? Are we a passing football team? Who are we? Are we going to take shots? We took more risks this week on offense. Um, you know, we took the, we took more shots this week on offense, but we still don't know who we are. We still don't manufacture enough big plays, enough points. Um, so I think that contributes to a lot of the uh, slow starts. When you look defensively, you're asking the defense to be perfect. You're asking the defense to make plays. Without that uh, that fumble return on the goal line that we had, that 98-yard return that we have, man, I don't know where this game is. The defense has to step up, and the defense knows that they can't give up points at all because the offense is so slow to start. Um, so when you look at it, I, I think guys are pressing a lot. I think guys are overthinking. I think they're not playing free. It looks This team looks like a team that's just not playing free, and they're not reacting. They're not, they're not flowing. Uh, and, and I think, you know, us not having an identity on offense, the defense trying to make sure that we don't give up too much to keep us in the game. I think that's that's making our guys press a lot, and that's contributing to uh, the slow start. Yeah, but let's go back to the offense because while I 100% agree there, there are some issues there, I do feel like they've turned somewhat of the corner. It's not like consistent offense, but in that mm-hmm. game, I mean, from the second quarter on, I didn't feel like the offense was hindering – I mean, they, they made up a lot of ground after such a terrible yeah. first quarter. Yeah, they did. Um, I think the offense stabilized a little bit. I don't think that we improved a lot, but I think we stabilized. I think Max is the stabilizing force. When you look at the game, there's a lot of situations where, you know, you look at the low snaps. Um, if, if Haynes is in there, I think there, there's a turnover. I think there's a lot of chaos. I think Max brings you a certain calm. When you look at Jimbo, I think Jimbo trusts Max, and he allows the game to be 
uh, the game plan to open up a lot more because he knows that Max is not going to do anything to put us in jeopardy. You know, when you look at the difference between him and, and Haynes, Haynes threw into a lot of traffic. He made a lot of bad decisions. He knows that Max is not going to make those decisions, and, and he has a calm poise about him. Um, offensively, I just think that that we we have got to find ways to be more explosive. We missed on a few plays, but I think the one thing that you could take from this game is the run game got going. You saw A-Chain, he, he finally had his coming out party this season. And I think that there's something to build upon. I think they found something in that. Uh, and, and I think with him and Max back there, I think there's a lot of trust now that Jimbo has. And I think he's slowly going to start opening up this uh, this offense. Jordan, too, the offensive line, as they get going, the team, and mm-hmm. it's no make no mistake about it, that's any team out there. But I felt like in that game, there was a point where the line started getting um, the, the power needed off the, off the line of scrimmage in order to create those lanes for Devon and also for Max to have a little bit more time. Not a lot yeah. more time, but a little bit more time. Well, sometimes what you need, sometimes you just need a big play. Sometimes the offense needs to know that we're going to open this up. And sometimes when you get that first spark play, that, that first chunk play, it breathes that confidence. Here's what I saw with the team, and here's the one good thing. I saw the grit that Jimbo always talks about. I saw the grit come out. There was a lot of adverse situations in that game, and the game could have got sideways real fast. And when you have a good play that happens, when you have that fumble return uh, that happens, when you have a chunk play in the run game, a chunk play in the pass game, when you have Max making uh, you know out-of-pocket runs, man, to go get first down, there's certain things. I think we're back. We got awkwardly cut off there. So where were we, Jordan? Oh, there it is. <laughs> I don't even remember where we were. Man. But... <laughs> I think we were talking about the offensive line, man. Yeah. I think that's where we were. You know what I mean? Um, but but overall, with the offensive line, I think you saw the confidence grow. You saw the chunk plays happen. I think Max gives them confidence. And I think in the offensive line's mind, Max is a gamer. Yeah, He doesn't do anything overly special, but he's just a gamer. He makes the, the necessary plays when it's time. So, so I think there's something to build upon uh, this week, man. And I think this game was big for them. It was big when it came to the confidence booster. So it'd be interesting to see how they uh, go against Mississippi State. All right, I got a, a positive stat for you here when it comes to the offense. They didn't make it to the red zone okay. enough, but they were three okay. for three, including two touchdowns. Again, it, it's those are numbers we weren't seeing before. It's it's a start, my yep. friend. Yep, yep, yep. And that's what you want. You want you want the improvement. I just I'm gonna go back to this part and, har- and harbor this point. I just think I think Max gives you that peace and that calm. You know what I mean? And and I really saw it this week. Uh, You just, you looked at the bass snaps. You looked at some of the plays that he made. I think he threw, I want to say it was a pass to A-Chain on that sideline. I don't know. I can't remember if it was complete or incomplete. Um, But I think it was a low snap. Pressure came. Um, He made the throw to to Devon on that sideline. Looking at that, I saw, that showed me everything I needed to see. And it kind of, you know, it kind of brought everything to a global picture with Max where, if I'm Jimbo, I see that now I've earned or you've earned my trust now. Now I know that when chaos happens, when 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 there's ups and downs, there's ties, there's there's highs and lows, I know that you're gonna be steady. That's the one thing about Max that I noticed. He's steady. Um, so I just think that breeds confidence too. The points that you said in the red zone. There's growth factors that that you can build upon for the rest of the season that you uh saw out of this game. So it's gonna be interesting. We still got a lot of work. Now, our O line got a whole lot of work. Uh, our offense has a whole lot of work, but at least you have something that you can build upon now against SEC opponents. So let's say you took a step forward, but now no Anaya Smith. How do they fix? I mean, what do they do? 
I mean, because that's that's a big loss. I mean, from a, from yeah. a locker room perspective, from a player on the field perspective, from lining up the other wide receivers, does that mean they target certain guys a little bit more? What do they do? You play ball. You play ball. You have the playmaker. So the thing that you lose the most with, with Smith is the leadership. That's what you lose the most. You lose the you you lose the in game experience. I think we have enough playmakers on the on the outside in order to to change games. That's where you know. Other guys, they have the opportunity to step up. You know, you got the, the Chase Lanes of the world. You got uh, Muhammad that can play. You got Jalen Preston, who's, who's shown flashes over the years. Guys who can step in. Now, you don't replace Smith. I told you, I think Smith is the most underrated guy in the SEC. Um, but, you, but when it comes to pure athleticism, when it comes to playmakers on the outside, we have those guys uh, ready and available. It can go one of two ways. It can hurt us offensively because he's such a reliable factor, or it forces you to spread the ball around. One of two things can happen. So, you know, I think this week will be able to show us, you know, how this offense can expand, who can make plays, and how we'll open it up in order to feature the rest of our playmakers. Jordan, last thing for you. What do you, what do you think is key on both sides of the ball this weekend against Mississippi State? Mm. It's the O&D line. That's what the key is. I think <laughs> you hear it all the time as coach speak, but we cannot – get our butts whooped on the O&D line like we did in the first half of this Arkansas game. Uh, across the SEC, you know that's where people live and die is by the big boys up front. I think if we establish that presence early on offense and defense, I think that we can, we can um, you know, take control of this game and we, can, and we can just run our offense and defense and be steady. We can, we can take control and win the game easily. I just think until we get that down, until we get a consistent factor uh, in our pass protection in our run game, until we can get consistent pressure and we can uh, have better gap control defensively, we're going to be in constant dogfights. So that's going to be the key for me is how do we handle those two things in front. Jordan, we appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you in a week. All right, let's do it. Let's do it, man. Thank you very much. Jordan Pugh there on the hotline, always uh, bringing facts here on the program. Right now we're talking Heritage Films. Uh, Chance McLean, that's his company. That's what he does. He puts it together. Those who know his history know he uh, gave me a, a gig in Houston when I was at 1560 The Game. He started radio stations. He's done Broadway musicals. He's done movies, red carpet shows. He's created like creative stuff, like stuff that I can't even think about. He's just a funny, smart, creative guy. And he came up with this idea for Heritage Films because a good friend of his wanted a uh, documentary uh, on his dad who was passing away. He was like, he's only got a little bit of time left on this earth. I'd love to get his story captured so my kids and their kids can all have it. So he did it and he loved it. It was a great empowering experience. So he started doing it as a, as a side gig and it became his real gig and it became his passion. And now he does documentary stories for everyday Joes, just like us listening and, and doing this show. Uh, and he does such a great job. We did it for my dad. I highly recommend it to you and your family. It is Heritage Films, and the website is yourheritagefilm.com. They put your story into this two-hour documentary that's going to feel like a Netflix story, like a, you know, A&E biography. That's what he does. The pictures, the video, the lights, and it's just a, a story that you can pass on generation to generation. The uh, origin story, if you will. The website, yourheritagefilm.com. Yourheritagefilm.com. 713 it's a different kind of spread. One's much more throwing, one was much more running and throwing, you know what I'm saying? And and what they're doing. So it is different. And and, and because but the quarterback Rogers can still run and scramble. He, he's a good athlete. And then when you look at last year compared to this year, do you feel like with the secondary you guys are better equipped? Um, at slowing down this team that, than maybe you were last year? We'll see. 
<laughs> we'll see. I mean, the year before we did a really good job. Last year we didn't do a good job. And we got, I think you have to have multiple looks. After you have to do different things. And I think you'll have to make plays on the ball and be able to cover. So hopefully we will be. And hopefully we'll be able to put the pressure on at times when we need to. Guys can rush. Yep, put some pressure on them. Harder, as Jordan Pugh just explained, is harder to do. Easier said than done, right? Because they're going to release the ball within three seconds. Uh, I did like that that question, though, and the follow-up there from Tyler, where he's like, I mean, are, is your secondary, though, equipped to do it? Because um, there are some athletic dudes out there, and they are growing up as as we're watching. So uh, am I worried about this game? Yes. Not as – I mean, let me rephrase this. I'm oh, You guys know next year, Nuno, worry Nancy, you know, and you know that I thought Arkansas was going to win the game. But I, I did say, to me, it's going to come down if they have any offense – and they got just enough offense to get going there after the first quarter. And I, and I kind of feel that same way, although I'm leaning towards the A&M side because I, I question the Mississippi State offensive line. If our guys are healthy-ish, and we don't know about McKinley yet, um, but if, if the defensive line can do what we think they can do and just harass a little bit of Will Rogers, LSU was able to get to him, why not Texas A&M? If they're able to do that, I feel much better about this game than I would against Arkansas. Harder situation going on the road, your first real SEC road test for sure. You get a little bit of offense, and I, see, I think we've seen these increases, right? can be harder without Anias, but Donovan Green's growing up, and Evan Stewart got his first touchdown last week, and Chris Marshall was close. You know, these, these guys are going to give you some chances. Devon A-Chain starting to play like the Devon A-Chain, not that he wasn't before, but now we're seeing the numbers come with it. The offensive line got better as the game went on. You know, I, I I am happy the way it's trending. I want it to trend a lot higher, but we're going in that direction. Let's now go to the news and social center. Anna Rosa Peterson, get the Ennis. All right, Spencer in Denver poses a very interesting question. He asks, "Is there any upside to Anais's injury? It would be the opportunity for a variety of players to fill the various roles. Why not put in Le'Veon Moss with a chain and split chain out, or put in one of the big box and run in?" the formation there are a lot of options now and it's going to keep the dc guessing well i will say this never an upside to lose one of your most productive offensive weapons never an upside opportunity might be the word i would use it is an opportunity it's an opportunity for guys to get more looks it's an opportunity for guys who haven't been getting a look to get that opportunity they're going to have to find guys to do it does that mean moose and yul keith take on a bigger role does that mean that maybe they're going to you know, uh, try to get the ball to Evan a couple of more times and a couple of more times to Chris Marshall and Donovan Green. All those things, I think, are 100% in play. It is an opportunity, definitely not an upside. You're not better by losing Kenyon Green to the NFL, and you're not better by losing Anaya Smith to injury. You're just not, right? So you think about some of the most positive things from last season uh, gone in this offense that's already kind of struggled anyway. You know, Anias is a big part of what they do, right? A huge part of what they do. Uh, but if there is oppor- there is an opportunity for guys to grow up and there's opportunity for those touches, and you're going to have to perform. So putting guys in the right spot to perform, sure, I see that as a, as a great chance. There's no doubt about that. I absolutely uh, see some of the, the value there. That being said... Just don't make mistakes on the road, and that's something we haven't we have seen from Max Johnson. He's been really good about being, uh, you know, keeping those turnovers none right. Like they're they're not turning the ball over with him. 
You go on the road. You know these games come down in the fourth quarter. If you can come out of this one at 4-1 and one entering Alabama, I'm telling you, everything you wanted is still right in front of you. I, I've got to see more from the offense, but I've seen more from the App State game to the Miami game to the Arkansas game. The Arkansas game started slow, but they figured it out. And if they can use that same methodology moving forward, I think good things can happen. Arkansas is good uh, stopping the run. A&M was able to find a way to, to, to run. They're not very good at stopping the pass. The numbers weren't there, but they almost didn't need to be here. After those big explosive plays, you almost didn't need to. Uh, and there were some plays there to be made. There are certainly um, better plays. Read, read this text message from Chad. I, don't, I only see the preview. What, what does it say, Anna Rosa? He says they were better for losing Haynes King last year and are better that he was replaced this year. I don't know that. I don't know that. Because with Zach Calzada, and look, he, he finished the season well. I mean, well, he, he had his issues, but he, he got better as the year went on. But the difference is you didn't have an option. You couldn't take Zach out. And trust me that those conversations would have happened if you had a quarterback room. Hello, we just went through it. I'm interested to see what happens if Haynes doesn't get hurt, doesn't miss a whole year, and gets more starts under his belt, how this year looks. So no, I'm not going to say that they were better for losing Haynes King. In fact, I think that's ridiculous. I think Zach made the most of his opportunity in the Alabama game, and he had some some nice moments, no doubt about it. I am not going to finish writing the book on Haynes King just yet. He, he he did not look ready for the moment this year. I, I'm not I'm not writing that book just yet. All right, when we come back here on Texas Radio, we are going to look at Mississippi State. We've got an insider coming on the program to kind of give us a little breakdown of what they do. Robbie Falk, co-host of Thunder and Lightning Podcast. That is coming up next here on Texas Radio. And we are back. We call it Texas Radio. I don't know why I do that. That's like a like a muscle memory thing that I do. We call it this. We call it that. We call it David Nuno Show. No, we don't. It's just Texas Radio. We're presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. We're here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. A couple of notes on the YouTube chat that I want to get into. Uh, somebody had texted the show about Haynes King's injury. We were better for it. I don't, I don't see it that way at all. Trenton White on the show uh, on the YouTube page says, the way I see it, Nuno, it isn't an upside hindsight but long term it's because of Anias decides to come back next year his addition plus the 22 class being experienced is a natty combo nation I don't know why it's a combination like that but uh, that's Trenton's thought Derek says I think King's injury last year played a huge mental role on how he did this year no injury and he might have been great I mean, that's kind of how I see it there's I absolutely see it that way um, and he says I think the loss to App State was uh, this is from Chad I think the loss to App State was the best thing to happen because King might still be the starter had they won. Yeah, now, there is a little bit of that. Um, but I am not going to give up on a guy, just like I'm not going to give up on a team based on, you know... like We've seen other players this year kind of grow up with more bullets flying, right? Um, and I think there's a lot to do with that. And, and do not discount what an injury does to somebody. Do not discount what an injury does mentally to a person trying to get ready for the season. When, like, you know, I've actually been surprised with the way my son has rebounded from his his broken wrist. But, like, and he plays soccer, so it's it's a different, obviously, physical sport. But the way he started going in for tackles initially, really, to me, um, you know, he was there was like a you're a little scared. And think about guys, huge men coming after you, and you're just not a hundred percent sure. So I think Haynes King with time. We'll figure things out. If it's here or somewhere else, uh, I'm not giving up hope on him. Let's get to know Mississippi State a little bit here on the program. We've got Robbie Falk 
on the hotline co-host of Thunder and Lightning. He also works with the Rivals Network. He breaks things down there from a Mississippi State uh, point of view. Good morning, man. How you doing? Doing good, man. How are you? I'm good, man. Appreciate you joining the show. So I'm trying to get to know a little bit about this team this year. So I feel like very similar to what I saw last year, but the defense has grown up a little bit, and the offense, even though the offensive line looks different, has grown up as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the offensive line was really the biggest concern for Mississippi State coming into the season. They lost uh, first-round draft pick and Charles Cross, probably one of the most talented offensive linemen that they've ever had. Um, you know, that's that's arguable. I mean, he's he was incredibly talented. He's starting for the Seattle Seahawks right now. Anytime you replace a first-round draft pick at left tackle, it's going to be a challenge. But I think they've protected okay. I think they've been good enough up front. And you got all those pieces returning offensively, like Will Rogers. You got the two running backs and Woody Marks and Dylan Johnson. You got all those wide receivers. So the offense is returning a, a ton of talent from last year. Uh, the return, they're, they've plugged in some guys that might not have played a lot last year, but they're kind of ready in this offense. And then, you know, like you mentioned, the defense seems to be uh, growing up a little bit. And it's a unit that's returning a ton of guys as well. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I feel like this is a veteran group, um, pretty talented group, not the most talented group the Mississippi State's had in the past uh, eight to ten years, but uh, they're uh, a very experienced group, and that goes a long way in the SEC. What went wrong in that LSU game? What was the, the was it the O-line not protecting enough? Is that really what went wrong? Yeah, I just think it was, uh, you know, a lot of things for Mississippi State in that game that kind of compounded together that led to a loss. I didn't think the offensive line protected very well, but I give a lot of credit, too, to LSU. They schemed things up really well. They have a ton of talent across the board. So, you know, I give a lot of credit to them as well. But, you know, Will Rogers didn't play great. The wide receivers had five drops. The offensive line uh, was very shaky. And, and for the most part, the defense was good until late in the game, but I thought that had to do with a little bit of wear and tear as, uh, you know, State's offense just was continuously going three and out or having empty possessions. So I think, you know, the, the mystique of playing in Tiger Stadium probably had something to do with that as well. Um, you got to give credit to that environment for kind of shaking Mississippi State a little bit on the offensive side of the ball. I, I thought it was a little disappointing to see that Mississippi State being a veteran group, like I mentioned earlier, was not able to go in there and and be more composed than they were. They had plenty of chances to win that game. This is an LSU team that's still trying to find itself a little bit from an identity perspective. Um, I think there's a ton of talent there for LSU, but they have a lot of transfers, had a lot of turnover, a new head coach. This was really the time that Mississippi State should be able to get LSU, and they they really blew that opportunity. But, um, you know, I don't think that really changes a whole lot of my opinion on this team. I just thought it was a really bad game for them. Is it possible LSU is better than we thought? We know that they have the talent, but sometimes when a new culture comes in and uh, also losing that early game to Florida State kind of was what jolted them. Maybe that's what jolted Mississippi State as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, th- I think this LSU team is much better than people were giving them credit for. Um, I think it's a top 25 type team. I think, like I said, I think they're still trying to find themselves a little bit and they have a new quarterback. Um, they're, they're starting to figure out what he really does well, and that's get out of the pocket and, and uh, do things with his legs. I don't think 
he's really in his element when he's standing in the pocket and throwing. And I think the state had success defensively when they were able to keep him there. Um, but he's a very dynamic guy, and I think they're starting to figure things out there. I think they're starting to figure out their offensive line a little bit. I think by the end of the year, we're going to say this LSU team is a lot better than we thought they were after that Florida State game. So I'm reading through the Mississippi State game notes, and uh, I knew Will Rogers was having a, a nice season, but this I found this very interesting. Coming off his second career game with six passing touchdowns, which ties the school record, he's the only active quarterback in the country with multiple games of six or more touchdown passes in his career. So what kind of year is Will having outside of that LSU game? I think he's been very good. I mean, he, he's been really good in the other three ball games. But, you know, you, you start to question whether or not that's just bad competition or, um, or what. But I think Will is a, is a very good quarterback. I think he's smart. I think he's um, um, very efficient. When you look at his completion percentage, I ran the numbers on, the, on some of the other Mike Leach quarterbacks that he's coached over the years that have, that have been starting quarterbacks for multiple years. And you're talking about Cliff Kingsbury, Graham Harrell, Luke Falk, um, a lot of great quarterbacks that he's coached over his time uh, at Washington State and Texas Tech. Will Rogers has the highest completion percentage of all of them in his career, and that's over two and a half years now. And he's he's going to he's going to be the most um, prolific quarterback from a stats perspective that Mike Leach has ever coached. He stays healthy. Um, he's going to have the best numbers across the board. And I, I think that that gets lost in this whole conversation about the air raid. We know that they're going; these quarterbacks are going to put up big numbers in the passing game. It's just going to come with the territory. But I just feel like that's not giving Will the credit he deserves when you put that label on the air raid quarterback. I think when you really look at what he's done and you watch him uh, against some really good defenses over time uh, – have the success that he's had and he's not just doing it with with five yard passes he's been able to get the ball down the field he's he's fitting it through tight windows i think he deserves a lot more credit than than what he gets and he's having a very good year he's probably going to have the best season of a passing quarterback in mississippi state history if things continue on this uh current trend talking to robbie falk here co-host of thunder and lightning on texas radio we know that mississippi state doesn't necessarily run the ball that often but i feel like this year looking at these numbers dylan johnson when he gets the ball has been very effective yeah they they seem to be putting a little more emphasis on running the football i think that that didn't really show against bowling green but they came out against lsu on that first possession they had um you know a 37 yard touchdown or some 35 yard touchdown whatever it was um, and they, they were running the ball really well. I thought they got away from that a little bit, but you know, LSU did a good job stopping that a couple of times on short yardage. But they've done a really good job this year of being a little more balanced, and that goes a long way in this offense. If you can just show the ability to pick up five or six yards with your running backs, it's going to make things a little more difficult on the defense um, because in the first couple of years, you're seeing three down linemen and everybody falling back and keeping everything in front of them. Uh, well, it's, it's hard to do that when you have running backs picking up, you know, six or seven yards. And that's what they've done really well this year is Dylan Johnson and Jaquavius Marks. I haven't looked at the numbers, but probably averaging around five yards a carry between them, probably. And Dylan Johnson's been really good this year. So you have two running backs there that have shown the ability to keep defenses honest. I think that that carries this offense in a different direction than where it was maybe in 2020 and 
even some last year as well. Robbie Fox with us, part of the 247 Network here on Tech Radio. Let's talk about Caleb Ducking, who is, uh, who's been big. He's been really big for this offense, and when he goes, I feel like the Mississippi State offense goes. Yeah, you know, State was missing a big piece this year when Makai Polk left for the NFL. He was a transfer from Cal, long-rangey guy. He was kind of your red zone threat, your possession guy, and last year was a 1,000-yard receiver, had over 100 catches, I think nine touchdowns. And that's a big piece going out the door. So you have to have somebody step into that role, and Ducking's done a great job of that. And this is a player that is truly – gone from you know raw to developed he was playing in a small school in mississippi in the delta south delta high school um had all the all the the measurables big tall lanky receiver that could uh run and jump he goes to junior college he's playing in a triple option style offense i think he had like 10 catches or something uh his sophomore year in junior college and you know state kind of watched him on film before Mike Leach even got here and really felt like they had a, a guy that could be a serious threat for them. And after sitting behind a couple of guys the last two years, he's really stepped into that role of being Mississippi State's go-to guy. And he's a tough guy to guard one-on-one. Uh, guys have really had uh, struggles with him one-on-one. Uh, he's got a really good body. I think he's got good ball control as well. Pretty good at high-pointing the football. So, uh, he's he's been a player that when he gets in one-on-one coverage, Will Rogers can make a play with him. Tell our audience the Jordan Davis story, too. He got hurt last year, but he's returned this year and has really helped that defense. Yeah, the, the big key for him is just getting healthy. Um, I don't. I, I think he was, he was out against LSU. They just need him to be healthy. But he's a player that um, was going to go to Alabama out of high school. He had to go to junior college at, at Colin in Mississippi. He commits to Tennessee. So, I mean, a, a player that is talented enough to go to some uh, big-time schools, Mississippi State was able to land him. And last year towards ACL right before the season, and I thought the fall he was having was just fantastic. Probably one of the better falls we've seen from a defensive end, from a pass rusher perspective since Montez Sweat. And he was, uh, he was just impossible to, to block, whether he was there uh, up against Charles Cross or whoever. And towards ACL, I think a week before the season last year, had to sit out. So he's just kind of been getting back into the groove of things. We haven't seen him reach his full potential this year. Um, hopefully he's able to start getting up to 100% and getting to where he was last year because he's a really talented player. And Mississippi State needs those pass rushers. If you're the Mississippi State defensive coordinator, what are you thinking? Is it Does it start with trying to limit A-chain or what? what would be the game plan there? That's probably that's that's my thought process. Is you got to stop a chain. You can't let him get out in space. And I think State's been fairly good against the run. The numbers don't really bear it out. They're probably somewhere around top fifty, uh, maybe a little lower in, in run defense. But I don't think it really tells the story of how good this defense has been against the run. They've they've given up a couple of big plays here and there that have kind of skewed those numbers a little bit. So. They, they usually have a pretty good game plan against the run, but that, to me, is the most important thing. I, I, I want to stop A-Chain, and I want to make Max Johnson beat me with his arm. Um, make him make the throws in the tight windows. Make him make some throws down the field, because I, I think State's defensive backfield is better than it was last year. I think you should have trust in some of those guys like Emmanuel Forbes and 
uh, safety Jackie Matthews and Cameron Richardson. You're going up against some great wide receivers, but you should put a little trust in those guys. Um, there's a couple of safeties that I wouldn't put in one-on-one coverage with any of those players. But, uh, you know, I think the, the best chance for Mississippi State is to make Max Johnson beat them and, and limit what A-Shane does at running back because he can absolutely burn you. And, and listen, Max Johnson's made some critical throws as well. But I, I feel much better um, for, as far as Mississippi State's chances are if you're keeping him in the pocket, you're not, um, you know, over, you're not overplaying your hand in the blitz and giving up some big plays because the big play potential is there against this defense. So that got me thinking, and I, and I went to Google as you were talking right there. Just to, Not that this means anything about this year, but two things popped up. I, I wondered, how did Max Johnson at LSU do last year versus Mississippi State? And then I was reminded, how did DJ Durkin's defense do against Mississippi State last year? Um, and I'm looking at it. Max Johnson was solid. Not, I mean, not spectacular, but uh, he looks like he had uh, 280 yards passing, four touchdowns, one pick, and LSU as a team only rushed for 63 yards total. So um, the thing about Max is when, when he's good, he's really good. Yeah, I agree. And he made some big-time throws in that game, too. I mean, there was a play. State had, State had gotten back in the ball game in that game, and I thought they had played him fairly well for most of the ball game, but they had a critical uh, penalty on a punt. They ran through the shield and jumped over the shield um, the blockers, and they gave LSU life when Mississippi State had all that momentum. And I think on the next play, they burnt State on like a 60-yard pass for a touchdown. Um, the tight end, State had missed a tackle or something. Um, so he had some big-time throws in that ball game. Um, I thought State was better when they weren't pressuring him. For whatever reason, he seemed to be better with pressure. Um, when they just allowed him just to stand in the pocket, he struggled a little more, which was strange to me. But uh, did have a good game there. I was kind of surprised at the end of the year that things tailed off for him. But, um, you know, we saw it last week against Arkansas, made a couple of really good throws with pressure, had a touchdown pass on one of them. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's if he's taking some from his dad's trick shots that he's doing. or so, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is, but. He seems to to be clutch in some situations. So I think but I think it, it all revolves around limiting what AM does in the run game for me. And we got about 30 seconds here. I do want to go back to the Mississippi State Ole Miss game. Durkin looked like for at least three quarters had figured it out, but it, uh, Mississippi State did make a little run at the end of that one. In about 20 seconds or less, can you give us a quick thought about that? Yeah, I thought the biggest thing going against State in that ball game was the weather. It was rainy, it was windy. They dropped three touchdowns in the first uh, half, had a chance to go into the locker room with a pretty good lead. But I did think that um, Durkin had a good game plan, too. I thought that that was they're, – they're probably going to – I asked Leach about that yesterday. Probably going to run a lot of zone against Mississippi State. That's probably what you're going to see from Durkin. But he did have a solid game plan. I thought that, coupled with the weather, really disrupted things for the air raid. Robbie, I appreciate it, man. Let's do it again, okay? Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Take care. Robbie Falk, co-host of Thunder and Lightning, 247 Network as well. All right, when we come back, one quick final segment. We'll get to those text messages and more. It is Tex Ags Radio, presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. 
All right, we're finishing up here on Texags Radio. Let me read this uh, one from Chad on the AMB text line. King was no better this year after yet another year in the offense spring game and two starts. The excuse was made for a year. If Haynes had not had not gotten hurt, this team would not have gone eight and four. No longer holds water. I think the the loss to App State was the best thing that happened to King. It might be the uh, starter had they won. Um, best thing because of King. So what my response to that is, I agree with you on the eight and four conversation. Like I I, I do like. It doesn't hold water anymore. I thought last year had Haynes been the guy that would have gotten ten and two, he he needed more time. Um, but that being said, I'm not that, that book is not written completely yet. Uh, it may be he may be called upon this year at some point. You never know. You don't know when Connor's going to get the call. You don't know when Haynes going to get the call. You don't know what Max can be able to do. And hopefully this weekend at Starkville, he gets it all done. All right, that's going to do it for Texags Radio on a Tuesday. My thanks to Jordan Pugh, Robbie Falk, uh, their Mississippi State insider, Del Bruffett from KBTX, Jamie McCoy, Shereen Williams, the Buchananster. I don't know, that was terrible. Olin Buchanan, he was good. Tomorrow on the program, John Harris will be with us. Love when Johnny is on the program. We'll have Coach G, Ryan Broniger with Recruiting Country, Peter Burns of the SEC Network. That's just a typical day here. Uh, on TechSags Radio. All right, my thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you very, very much. Nick Savage, great job behind the glass. Anna Rosa Peterson, awesome job as always. That's going to do it. We will see you all manana.